welcome to WISMED On Call, a podcast from the Wisconsin Medical Society that looks at some of the top issues affecting patients and the practice of medicine in Wisconsin. I'm your host, Mark Rappentine, Senior Vice President of Government Relations here at the Society. With me is Lisa Davidson, VP of Advocacy and Membership, and H.J. Wachau, our Manager of Advocacy and Regulatory Affairs. We are recording this podcast on Wednesday, March 6th at uh, actually 11.10 in the morning, and so we're up to date as of this day. So the focus of today's podcast is on the state's biennial budget, which was just recently introduced by Governor Tony Evers. It kicks off the, the beginning of a very um, long process, but also the most important process that happens in state government each biennium. There's only one bill that has to pass in a two-year uh, session of the state legislature. And for the 2019-2020 the session, uh, the biennial budget is that bill. So uh, the, the very broad overall particulars of the bill as it was introduced, it spends about $83.5 billion of all funds over two years. It's about a $7 billion increase from the last budget. Uh, the bill itself is 1,148 pages in an actual budget bill. Um, it's, it's a piece of legislation that has been introduced as Senate Bill uh, 59, if I recall correctly. Mm -hmm. And um, and AB 56. And, and AB uh, 56. So it's one of those very interesting things that people don't realize it's an actual budget bill that you can go and look at and, and go into the particulars. Now that said, uh, we know some of the highlights. We're not sure about how all of the dots are connected when it comes to funding for certain things or, or uh, exactly how stuff goes. And this takes a little bit of time. Um, but we can talk about, I think off the top, some of the um, important things that deal with healthcare. Um, one which is probably uh, the, something that is one of the more controversial issues potentially, depending on who you talk to, but one of the areas that we have talked about often with Republicans and Democrats, and that's uh, Medicaid expansion. And I don't know if there's a better uh, um, expert in this building on Medicaid expansion than H.J., and why don't you walk us through some of the, the particulars of that? Well, Mark, you flatter me by saying that I'm a good Medicaid expert, and I appreciate the compliment. Um, the biggest particulars of the expansion is that they are going to expand Medicaid up to 138% of the federal poverty level, which is the highest that you can go uh, per federal law. And so currently, Wisconsin law is only up to 100% of the federal poverty level for all childless adults. Uh, it covers people above that for, par uh, for uh, parents and caretakers, kids, um, certain other populations as well, and we'll pregnant spare, moms. Pregnant moms. Kind of, yeah. We'll spare the details of all of that. Uh, but this would expand it up for all adults under 138% of the federal poverty level. And in doing so, the the state would then draw down the enhanced match, the 90% match uh, for those funds. Currently, we are drawing down 60% uh, per the terms of the most recently negotiated waiver that was approved by CMS, and we can get into the details of that waiver a little bit later and what is in the, the governor's budget. We'll can, you know, spare everyone the, the minutiae of that. If you well, want. when you talk about the match, though, you mean federal funds coming Correct. in to match the state funds that Correct. are better. And, and it's um, under the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, uh, we would be able to qualify for 90% of the funding for this new population would come from the right. feds and then 10% and it eventually so, kind of slides. So Wisconsin, yeah, so Wisconsin would pay 10 cents on the dollar for that population and the feds would pick up the other 90 cents. So underneath the governor's proposed budget, um, they would cover an additional... 82,000 people, it would save an additional $324 million in general purpose revenue, so GPR, so that's the, the state dollar amount. Uh, there's other you know, federal funds and program revenue and seg funds and things like that. Um, but, you know, in looking at the budget, you know, they're, they're plowing all of that back into the broader healthcare system and 
Lisa and I had an opportunity to talk with Secretary Andrea Palm and new uh, Medicaid Director Jim Jones uh, this past Friday to talk about how they were envisioning how that allocation was going to go. Again, they want to put it right back into the healthcare system, so that means increased reimbursement for physicians, uh, focus on mental and behavioral health services, uh, issues that we have been highlighting and focusing uh, in all of our efforts that you know since uh, since the end of the election and actually prior to the election, these are issues that we have been focusing and highlighting, and, and are are happy to see that that made it into uh, the governor's budget. Now that said, um, you know early on when the governor uh, was talking about Medicaid expansion, once he was inaugurated in January and, and was previewing his his budget. You know, he was saying a lot of the right stuff when it came to Medicaid expansion. The Medical Society is on record supporting expansion um, as long as that money is used for, um, and for us, it's specifically the areas where we know there are problems with the Medicaid reimbursement system. Uh, the story is very long and storied about, you know, a lot of folks a lot of, in the physician community will see Medicaid patients because they know that's the right thing to do, mm -hmm. and they do it at a loss. They actually lose money for every Medicaid patient they see. So, you know, if you're going to capture extra funding to add people into the system, you know, we believe that that, um, that extra federal funding and others should be going toward those areas to help that mm -hmm. problem. So we're talking uh, psychiatry reimbursement, uh, emergency room, yep. and family practice. Yep. And, and those are, and those are, in the first cursory overview of this budget, that seems to be where they're focusing their efforts in terms of increasing those reimbursements, increasing um, funding for populations that maybe don't have the most access or the most means, and really trying to get at those exact areas that you just outlined. Um, what that's going to look like, you know, we were talking about they're going to, you know, to get super down in the weeds. It's not going to be you know, at, a, at a CPT code level, but it will get down to the provider level. So looking at who is providing that care, where they are providing that care, and how that looks like. I mean, ultimately, we're really excited that the administration and the department recognizes the need to have those funds go um, to the physician community to increase access um, and care um, to the Medicaid population. You know, I think it's important that reimbursement is not seen only as dollars, rather reimbursement for physicians for Medicaid helps build up an infrastructure. And that's where we're going to see increased access and ultimately where we see improved healthcare outcomes. So I think it's important we don't just dwell on the term reimbursement. Mm -hmm. it, it really is helping build a more robust infrastructure um, to provide more care to those who need it. And that, and that in turn, you know, that improves healthcare outcomes, that has a lot of you know, uh, you know, big impacts on social determinants of health. Um, you know, there's a lot of positives that come with with something like a Medicaid expansion. All right, so it's going to be interesting because on the political side, just on that issue alone, uh, Assembly Republican Speaker Robin Voss, probably the most uh, powerful Republican in the state legislature. Well, you can throw in the Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald as a part of that as well, obviously. But Speaker Voss has been pretty adamant about um, how he does not support Medicaid expansion, and he kind of falls into a couple bullets. One is that he doesn't want more folks on government health care. That's kind of one of the bullets. The other one is more of a mathematical one that, that I think resonates a, a bit better with some folks that, you know, if you've got a, I think the analogy I've been using is you have a house on the beach um, and the, the basement's kind of starting to erode and the stability of the building, which you could think of as the Medicaid program, is, is eroding. You know, if you're, gonna, if you're gonna put more people into that house, um, where do you put the resources in? Do you, do you put it into the basement to make sure you shore it up or do you do it in different ways? You know, do you hang pictures on the wall and 
Uh, do you put a new uh, coat of paint on the sides? And so, you know, he, he talks about how if Medicaid is seen at a loss already, and you add more people into that equation, the cost could be borne by those that have private insurance, and then rates go up in order to make it up, make up the difference. And there's some mathematical certainty that you can actually take a peek at at some point. And I think that gets us to kind of the procedure of the budget overall, because one of the most important things we're going to be waiting for is having the Legislative Fiscal Bureau, which is the nonpartisan accounting arm of the state legislature, um, analyze everything that's in the budget line by line, item by item, and lay out exactly what the budget proposal entails. Now, Lisa, you've been through a lot of budgets um, here in the state of Wisconsin, and you know that procedure, and, and I think the, the folks listening might be interested to know kind of what that procedure is like for the budget. Sure. Well, it's not very glamorous at times, <laughs> um, but it is important. So the Legislative Fiscal Bureau is, is definitely going to be um, one of those places to get a lot of information uh, throughout the process in a very factual way. Um, so the Joint Finance Committee... Uh, which is 16 members of the legislature from both the Assembly and the Senate. Um, that committee, to reflect obviously the majority control, is going to have a majority of Republican legislators on it. And the Fiscal Bureau is really seen as, as the group of people that helps um, the Joint Finance Committee basically make decisions. It helps inform them uh, what's in the budget. It helps really break things down um, in terms of understanding implications from not only a policy level but obviously from a fiscal um, impact. So what we'll see is a document um, presented to the Joint Finance Committee that really does a deep dive on what's included in the governor's budget proposal and then we go from there. Um, so we know that um, there's going to be some changes probably in, in terms of what ultimately the Joint Finance Committee is going to be starting from. However, uh, the Fiscal Bureau will provide an analysis, and obviously this is not only available to the legislature, but to the public as well, um, through the website. And we'll have a much better description. It goes, it's a lengthy document about what's in the budget. From there, we have the agencies come before the Joint Finance Committee. And this is an opportunity for the agency secretaries, or secretaries designate, depending upon their, their confirmation timetable, to talk about what's in their budget and defend it. And these can get pretty hot at times, and I'm sure this year will not be an exception. Um, so the Department of Health Services, you know, obviously in particular, um, this is an opportunity for Secretary Palm to get in front of the committee and the public and really talk about uh, the governor's proposal, that it's her job to defend it. So I know there's going to be a lot of tough questions for her from there, the Joint Finance Committee, like they always do, they go around the state, traditionally in every media market, and they hold public hearings. Um, obviously, uh, it's not always going to be an option for people to attend those because they tend to be on a weekday during the day. Um, however, it is always an opportunity for interested parties, so the society, society membership, to attend those where possible and speak to priorities that we would like to see that are either in the budget already and why we think they should remain, if there's something that's not in the budget we'd like to see included, or if there's something in the budget that we have concerns with that should either be changed or removed completely. So this is an opportunity for them to gather public feedback um, around the state, and traditionally we see that members of the committee 
have a greater likelihood of having a hearing in, in their home area. So I, I think we'll, we'll see that uh, continue. From there, they have an opportunity to review the public comment, and ultimately they come back as a committee and they vote in executive session. They go through each agency in the budget request, and that's where they either accept what's there in front of them or they add things through amendments. And these can go long into the night. Um, the process itself takes usually at least a month. So we're looking at you know now coming into May, uh, traditionally, and this is where you have long evenings at the Capitol. Unfortunately, there are sometimes votes that go past midnight. Um, not always the best practice, but sometimes to stay on track with the timeline, that that's what happens. So we have society staff um, that are always there when the committee is voting on items and the agencies that we care about. And so ultimately around the end of May is when we see um, the Finance Committee wrap up their version of the budget. So timing-wise for us, it works out really well that our doctor day is May 1st because that's a key time for us to be talking to the Joint Finance Committee as well as the broader legislature about society priorities and the budget. Um, so we'll be talking about Medicaid expansion, we'll be talking about physician health program at the department, um, looking at other opportunities um, to see where the finance committee wants to go and responding to that. Um, so incorporating member feedback and physician participation in this is going to be really important. Um, so May 1st is Doctor Day and we hope that all of you will take an opportunity to join us at that. And if you can't come to Madison for Doctor Day or other discussions, it's a great opportunity to connect with your legislators back home and the society is more than happy to help you on that. So to bring things back to timing, I anticipate that you know we'll see the June timing in terms of the legislature starting to consider the state budget. As we've shared with you before, the um, fiscal calendar year ends uh, June 30th. However, unlike the Congress, if we're not able to pass a budget uh, by the end of June and get that signed into law by then, um, we'll continue to have state government operate at existing funding levels. So traditionally, that's the timeline. <laughs> um, this year, obviously, we already have indications that we may have a very different budget process. And we've seen budgets go into September and October um, back when we did have um, the legislature divided. So the dynamic here is that we have a Republican-controlled legislature. However, um, we all know we have an, a new Democratic governor um, with, with Governor Evers. So my hope is that there'll be a lot of things worked out behind the scenes and we'll get to a place where the budget that's passed from the legislature will you know, have an opportunity for veto review um, and that will happen in a relatively smooth process. Um, but it's really hard to say exactly when we're going to see you know, all of that unfold. I don't think this is going to be a, a traditional budget year. However, we're not going to have a conference committee because we don't have a divided legislature. So how, how the governor and his administration and his staff uh, choose to insert themselves in the process behind the scenes um, is something that remains to be seen. I mean, obviously, they have a vested interest in, in having the budget be on time as well. 
I, I think the issue that we've identified of a Medicaid expansion is obviously going to be you know, a sticking point. We know that the legislature has said that we're not going to do that, and in fact they've even said we're not even going to start um, with Governor Eager's budget. We're going to start from a different place, from a, a base budget. Uh, so that remains to be seen, although that, that's pretty probable. I feel specific to Medicaid expansion, there are ways to get to yes. And that's going to be tricky. However, words do matter. And my thought is we may end up seeing some pilot programs. That may be a way that we can get to a win-win and come up with some new sustainable programs in Medicaid that don't exactly adhere to the full expansion that's permissible under the ACA. Um, and so pilot programs, new innovations, mm -hmm. is you know certainly something we support and that we've been, been looking at. Um, but to, just to throw a bone out there, that, that could be a way um, to save face for everyone. Um, so, so we'll see what happens, but I think how, how do we get to yes on Medicaid expansion, you know, that, that's a very difficult question to answer. Um, that may be a way for us to do so. And, and I think it's worth pointing out that with regards to Medicaid expansion uh, in the governor's budget, there's a provision that repeals all of the previous 1115 waivers that were recently approved uh, this past October and then enshrining to state law via the lame duck legislation. So the governor's budget would undo all of that, and that is likely to be very much a non-starter um, for this legislature. You're, you're talking about things like uh, repealing the work requirement for Medicaid yep. recipients and drug yep. testing for those on yep. food stamps, that kind of thing, yeah. Uh, you know, I think what was interesting, um, you know, walking around the building before the budget address, actually, and talking with other lobbyists, I had uh, someone from the insurance industry come up to me and, and say, oh my gosh, he's putting everything into the budget. Everything's in there, including things like um, freezing school choice, um, you know, repealing right to work, raising the minimum wage. I mean, there's you know, IDs for undocumented citizens, you know, that kind of thing. And and you know, people seemed like they were a little bit surprised. Although, if you put yourself in the governor's situation, right, you know, just freshly elected, you're going to have two budgets to propose. If you're going to propose stuff, you propose stuff for your base and whomever in your first budget, mm -hmm. because then when it's time for re-election or whatever in, in a couple years, that's the budget that you run on for re-election. And we've seen this from Republican governors, from Democratic governors. You know, the first budget in your four-year term is the one where you can at least throw out political stuff because um, you know that you have the timeline of, of future years down the horizon. And it's kind of what's expected anyway. So, you know, there's a lot of, you'll see a lot of hue and cry and, and a lot of, um, of you know, uh, people that are outraged by what's in the budget. But like Lisa says, I, you know, I, I think the governor understands, and I think even, you know, Republicans understand this too. This is a process that takes a while. What we do know is that you have to get to yes at some point um, in the end. I mean, the governor does have the ability to veto an entire budget that comes out of the Joint Finance Committee and both houses that approve it. Um, it, that's probably not likely, but it is possible. And the fact that while there is strong Republican control in both houses, it's not to the level that allows a veto override. You need two-thirds of each house to override a veto, and the Republicans don't have that, that, uh, that level in either house. So everybody knows they have to get to yes at a certain point. And so you know, some of these other political sticking points um, are going to be debated an awful lot over the, the, um, the next several months, and we'll, we'll see what comes out. 
I think you know the the budget is an opportunity um, for finding those areas of bipartisan agreement, mm -hmm. and obviously those you know discussions have taken place even before um, Governor Evers was inaugurated. So this bodes well um, for the society and for Wisconsin physicians um, because the nature of our issues are, are driven by, by science and, and evidence and data, um, and they're bipartisan in, in nature. So I think that positions us really well to make the case um, to legislators of all stripes and, and ultimately to the governor and his staff. So issues like physician health program, I think that we're able to talk about that in a way that really cuts the politics out of it and really hammers home the need to address the growing crisis that we have in physician burnout. Um, so that's gonna be a, a good focal point for us. I think also ensuring that wherever we can invest more in physician reimbursement to improve access to care. If Medicaid expansion is the vehicle for that, great. If there's other opportunities um, for us to do that, um, then we want to support that and, and help that move forward. So it's gonna be a different year, but that doesn't mean that it's gonna be bad. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can have a, a glass half full perspective. And, and even looking at where there's other areas of agreement, you know, there's a there's an emphasis in the government's budget on, you know, mental behavioral health services, expanding access to those, uh, reconfiguring how we can make current programs like the, the, the county crisis services, how can we make those more expansive so that they can treat more people and they aren't you know, under the, you know, the, the avalanche of work that they have with the limited resources at their disposal. Um, and that's, you know, been kicked off a lot in part by, you know, things like the whole program with Representative Vigran, you know, the, the movement around um, the opioid crisis, and even issues, you know, people, you know, when we talk to folks around the Capitol, you know, one of the things we're talking about is, you know, a health workforce shortage, mm -hmm. um, not just for physicians, but also for nurses and, and, and other providers like that. And so I think that that's another area where there's going to be a lot of common agreement. That's where you can find some compromise and help move the, you know, the, the mission of healthcare forward. Yeah, it's really it's an important time, and the medical society is certainly involved in in the minutia as well as the larger stuff. And so we look forward to that. Lisa and HJ, anything else uh, before we wrap this one up? I would just encourage everyone to attend Doctor Day on May 1st. Again, the timing this year is very serendipitous, both for the, the budget process, but also for the weather. I know we've been very excited to talk about the prospects of a white coat picture outside on the steps of the Capitol, and we want all of you to be a part of that. Would be a much easier photo to take than the dead of February, the way it's been the last couple of years, so. Yeah, you know, Dr. Day is such a great partnership that we have with all the specialty societies and the medical schools. You know, everyone comes together. We'll have some primary issues that, we're, that we suggest folks talk about, um, but it's just a really good opportunity for physicians to show up, make an impact, and we hear it from staff uh, in the Capitol every time it happens that, wow, you know, all those white coats in the building um, was really impressive and we enjoyed talking to physicians. So, you know, if you're, if you're coming as part of the society, you're coming as part of your specialty society, you know, we really look forward to, to having you all there. All right, well, Lisa and HJ, really uh, enjoy working with you on all this budget stuff and, and let's have some fun the next few months, huh? Absolutely, thanks. All right, this will wrap up this edition of WISMED On Call. If you liked what you heard, visit our website at www.wisconsinmedicalsociety.org and look for future episodes wherever you get your podcasts. If you have suggestions or feedback, send an email to communications at wismed.org or reach out to um, either HJ, Lisa, or myself here on the staff, and we're happy to answer questions various and sundry. So thanks for listening.